give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Now that's talking about the church. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Now, verse 11, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness doth he judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture, dipped with blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now verse 16, And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I want to sing the chorus that we sing here that I love so very much, All Hail King Jesus. Praise God. And would you remain standing as we sing this? All hail King Jesus. All hail Emmanuel. King of kings, Lord of lords. Bright morning star, and throughout eternity, I'm going to praise Him, and forevermore I will reign with Him. Oh. eternity I'm going to praise Him and forevermore I will reign with Him now let's just lift our hands and worship the Lord thank you God oh hallelujah 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 Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We love you, Lord, and we worship you, God. And we praise you. All right, you may be seated. Praise God. I am very, very excited about Revelation 19. And the reason why is because I believe that we're living near the time in which the church could be caught away to meet the Lord in the air. Now, the Bible speaks of the rapture of the church, the catching away, the taking out of this world a people that 
are called by His name. Called by His name. And of course, when we go to be with the Lord, life on this planet earth will continue, but not quite as normal as it is right now. In fact, the Bible speaks of tribulation that comes upon the face of the earth like never before. There will be wars, there will be famine, there will be pestilences, there will be earthquakes, there will be uh, disorder, disorders in the heavens, the stars and such move out of their place. Some of those crash into the earth. Uh, earthquakes, as I stated, but we will state further, that will move mountains and islands and lands out of their place. Uh, you're talking about a, the judgment of God upon the planet earth because that people reject the Lord. Now, I understand that there's a lot said about the judgment of the Lord. And I understand that some people think it's very unfair that God would ever judge the earth. You know, the truth of the matter is, I think we don't understand just how wicked the human race is. And people are going around that saying, oh, God could not possibly do anything like that. They just don't really understand their Bible and they don't understand or they don't have a good, clear understanding of what sin is all about. I would say that in America, the average church-going man hears the name of the Lord used in vain more than he hears it used in praise. I'm talking about the average church-going man. Now, I do not consider this church and the people who attend it as being average due to the fact that we go to church more often, and when we're here, we mention the name of Jesus more often than what the name Jesus is mentioned in most churches. I remember way back in 1964 when Billy Graham had a crusade in the Astrodome in Houston, Texas. He signed a contract, and this was written right in the paper, in which he would preach there, but because of the atheistic control of the Astrodome, he agreed not to use the name Jesus. So he preached a whole crusade there, and would you believe many people accepted the Lord as their personal Savior, and yet his name was never mentioned. <clears throat> now, I said that using a little satire here, because I don't believe that you can preach without preaching Jesus. And I don't believe you can accept the Lord as your personal Savior without calling upon his name. The Bible says, call upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. Praise God. But in churches where that the name of the Lord is not stressed, and uh, in churches where praise and glory to God is not stressed, the average church-going man would probably hear the name of the Lord used more in vain uh, than he would ever hear the name of the Lord used at all. <clears throat> and a strange thing happens when the church is taken out of this earth uh, and the wrath of God begins to fall, the Bible says that they will, that men will cry for the rocks and the mountains to fall upon them and hide them from his wrath. But the Bible also tells us that uh, men will stand out in the open and openly defy and curse God, blaming God for all the trouble that's happening. Well, uh, it won't do any good then. Because, you see, man is really heaping upon himself the wrath of God. You just cannot disobey God and, and live in a world of sin and iniquity. 
and not expect something to happen. You can't do that. There is a principle that God has set in order from the very beginning of time that whatsoever you sow, that will you also reap. And uh, the Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And uh, the simple thing is that, that there, there are a lot of people that are just trying to make a fool out of God. See? Just trying to make a fool out of God. And Brother Pugh in our camp, and I mentioned this one time, preached such a marvelous message. And, of course, he talked about the wrath of God. And uh, he said uh, that uh, Galatians 6, verse 7 uh, could be stated like this. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. You make a fool out of God, and he's going to make a fool out of you. See? And so <clears throat> I read what I read today because I felt that perhaps there would be somebody here listening to me this morning that would really like to make peace in their heart with God. And oh, how important it is, because this is the day and the hour that you can do it. Once the church is taken away, we have no hope, according to Scripture, for the Gentiles receiving salvation. I do believe that God will save 144,000 of the Jews and seal them that they will not see death. I also believe that there will be a number of Jewish people who will be killed and slain and beheaded as a result of not denying the name of the Lord that will be saved during this period of time. But as far as the Gentile nations are concerned, uh, the first part of the, the tribulation period is judgment upon the Gentile nations. Now, to see, the Jews have received the judgment of the Lord down through the years. When they stood there and they cried, Crucify him, and they asked for Barabbas, and Pilate said, uh, you know, he wouldn't wash his hands. He said, no. He said, uh, I'm going to clean myself up because he's a just man, and I find no cause uh, for death in him. But they cried out, let his blood be upon us and upon our children and upon our children's children from this day henceforth. I do not really believe that they understood the ramifications of the blood of God upon their hands. And so they have been shifted from pillar to post and from nation to nation. And they have received judgment since that particular day. But the Bible speaks in the last days, just prior to the rapture of the church, that God's going to rebuild that nation of Israel. And he's going to gather all those people back over there. I say all of them. He will gather the Jews. I wouldn't say all of them will go back over there. But uh, they are moving back to Palestine at a very enormous rate per month. Now, the last time I checked, and it must have been in the early 70s, I had access to some statistics of uh, world population and such, and they were rebuilding Jerusalem, not Jerusalem, but Palestine. They were rebuilding at a rate of 20,000 Jews per month. That's how many were moving back. Uh, one of our ministers <clears throat> was on a, uh, a trip there in Israel, and uh, he was just talking to some uh, people there. Of course, they're reviving the, the Hebrew language and such, but he was talking to a man who was a businessman from New York City, and he just moved over there and taken up permanent residence, see, there. And he asked him, said, why did you move back? He said, I don't really know. Don't have any idea. Well, you mean you don't have any idea? He said, no. He said, it just, just like that all of a sudden, something just spoke to me and said, you need to move back to Israel. And he said, here I am. He sold his business, sold uh, everything he had, and took the money and moved back and started in business in Israel. Now, 
this is no doubt what's happening. And maybe the Jews don't even know why that it's happening the way that it's happening. But nevertheless, they're, they're moving back at a, at a great rate. Well, the Bible says that Jerusalem shall be encamped about by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And so we're living in the days of the fulfillment of God's grace and God's mercy to the Gentiles. The, the New Testament church is largely made up of Gentiles. But when God sees that the Gentiles will, will reject him, no longer accept him, and when iniquity begins to flow in the world, as it were in the days of Noah, God's going to reach down and pull this church out. He's going to take it right with him. Now, right now, the church is called the bride of Christ, but Paul explains it, that we are the espoused virgin of the Lord Jesus Christ, the chaste virgin. And so the, the Lord's going to come down and take us out. Well, while the world then receives the judgment of the Lord, you and I are going to what we call the marriage supper of the Lamb, what the Bible calls the marriage supper of the Lamb. And while the world is is experiencing famine and pestilences and earthquakes and people are dying because of hunger and starvation. You know what the church is going to be doing? We're going to be sitting at a gigantic table. I don't know how big it's going to be. But we're going to be sitting there with the Lord for the marriage supper of the Lamb. While everybody's starving, we're going to be eating. And, you know, God's just going to take care of us. And then, of course... <clears throat> At that particular time, awards will be given to all the saints. Now, the Bible speaks that after the tribulation period, that the Lord's going to come back with the saints. And, of course, he comes back leading the army of the saints of the Lord at the battle of Armageddon. And the Bible says when he appears that uh, there is written on his vesture a name that no man knoweth. Now, I personally think the church knows that name. But you see, that name is held mystery to all of the people. That simply means that no man on the earth recognizes that name. They don't know this name. And if you have not received the name of the Lord, you don't really know his name. But you see, we take on his name. Why? Because we are the bride. And it's, it's just like a, a marriage that would take place in, in, in any church, you know. Well, last evening, we, we made a little joke uh, about a marriage that took place here in our church this past year. Sister Patty Freeman married Brother John Geminder. And uh, so when she started to give her financial report, uh, we told her that she might have to get a divorce because last year when we approved her, we approved Patty Freeman. And now it's Patty Geminder. You know, we were just making a little joke out of it. And, of course, she said, no, I can't get a divorce because that's against the Bible also. <clears throat> but how did she become Patty Geminder? Through marriage. She took his name. Now, she didn't, she's still Patty, same person. But she took his name. And there is a particular time in which you take the name of the Lord right here on this earth when 
you become his espoused bride, or as the ancient customs were, when you became engaged, you actually took that name then. Now, I want to just talk about the name and the importance of the name in salvation today. Because it's a very, very important thing. If you think you can be saved without taking on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I would like for you to show me that in the Scripture. I do not believe that there is anybody that can show me in the Scripture where you can be saved by not taking on His name. Now, if this be true, then we need to find out just how we are to take on His name. Because you don't just take on His name simply by just going out and and, and, and just uh, picking it off a wall someplace or just saying, well, I want to take on the name of the Lord. See, Sister Patty could not take on Brother John's name just by choice alone. Now, what do you mean just by choice alone? In other words, she couldn't just say, well, I like Gaminder and I like John, but I'm not going to marry him. And I don't want to have much to do with him. I just think it's a great name. So, so I'm just going to take just change my name to Patty Gaminder. And John, you can just go fly a kite if you want to. It doesn't work that way. See, there are certain things in the Scripture that you must do in order to take on that name. Now, last uh, Thursday night, that is uh, a week ago from last Thursday night, uh, we were up doing some teaching, and we mentioned Adam and Eve in the garden. And you know the story about that, but I'd like for you to turn back there, if you would, to... Genesis, the fifth chapter, Genesis 5, and we will start reading in verse 1. This is the book of the generation of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him. Now notice this, in the day that God created man. Okay, in other words... The day that God made, there was a particular time in which creation, the creation of man took place. Now, if you know about the creation of man, here it's just a summary of it. It says, male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Now, in other words, God made man... And the, the account is given in the second chapter of the book of Genesis as to how God did it. Now the word Adam actually means red dirt or red soil or red clay. Now, <clears throat> Adam's name was given to him because God reached down and took the dirt or took the soil and formed him and made him. And then he breathed upon him the breath of life, and he became a living soul. You know, when preachers stand up and they preach funerals, they say, from dust thou comest and dust thou goest. You ever heard that? And uh, some people don't understand what they're talking about. Well, that simply means that, that God made man out of the dust of the earth. And, of course, now when you bury someone, you must put them in some kind of protective uh, tomb type thing or vault because of uh, federal laws. But... but uh, uh, in the old days, they just dug a shallow grave and put people in it. And they, they turned right back to the dust. See? And I remember when I was a kid, it was hard for me to understand this. I, I just didn't really know what, what God was talking, or what the, the preacher was talking about. You know, every time I'd see dust, I, I'd think of somebody. 
you know. Like the little boy that's searching underneath his bed, you know, and he looked all underneath his bed, and he went to his mother and said, uh, Mother, did I hear somebody say something about man? And What's man made of anyway? And he said, Dust. And uh, he said, Well, explain that. I said, Well, you came out of the dust, and you're going back to the dust. He said, well, you better come quickly and look underneath my bed because somebody's either coming or going. <laughs> and you see, <laughs> but this is what they're talking about, see, that God made man run out of the dirt and he's going to turn back to it. But you see, Eve was formed in a little bit different fashion from Adam. Because when Eve was formed, God caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam. And he opened up his side and took one of his ribs out. And he made Adam out of, or Eve, out of Adam's own body. Out of his flesh. And she was called woman because she came out of. Man. Okay, so you have man and you have woman. But their name at that time was Adam. It's like Mr. and Mrs. Adam. Now, if you will turn back with me then to the third chapter of the book of Genesis, you will find <clears throat> that uh, something took place in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, there was a temptation that fell upon Eve. And she went and ate of the fruit of the forbidden tree that was in the midst of the garden. Now when she ate of this forbidden fruit, the Bible says that her eyes were open that she knew the difference between good and bad. Up until this time, she was innocent. And when we say innocent... That simply means that she, she didn't know that there was such a thing as bad. She, she only knew good, and she could not differentiate. But her eyes would open, her eyes were open that she knew good and bad, according to verse seven. And the eyes of them both were open. Now. The, the eyes of both of them were open because when she ate of it, she saw that it was good. She took it to her husband, and he ate of it and saw that it was good. And their eyes became open. Now, because that man had sinned, God pronounced a curse upon man and put some regulations upon man for which he was to labor upon woman by which he was to bear children and, and so forth. Now, if you look with, look at me and look at the Bible, rather, with me in Genesis 3:14, and the Lord God said unto the serpent, "Because thou hast done this, that is the, the serpent that came by and beguiled them and tempted them and told them it was all right, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly shalt uh, thou go, and dust shall thy eat all the days of thy life." Now that's upon the serpent. In verse 15, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now this is speaking of the reconciliation 
that we will receive through Christ. That's verse 15, and we'll explain that a little bit later on. Verse 16, And unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. In other words, it was way back there that God established the chain of command. Because that Eve had sinned first, God says we will allow the man to rule over her. And to Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I command thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. That simply means that that he's got to get out and he's going to have to work now. He's going to have to till the ground. And it's not going to be like it was. God planted those trees in the midst of the garden, and you were to dress them and keep them. But now you've got to plant your own seed now. You're going to have to grow your own garden. You're going to have to sweat and toil and so forth. Thorns and thistles shalt thou shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. And verse 19, In the sweat of thy face shall thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it was thou taken for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Now notice this. It was after that they had sinned, and Adam called his wife's name Eve. See, it was sin that brought about a different name for her than what she was originally given. So you see the digression of their relationship. At one time, when they were first made, they were called the same. And they had the same name. But sin separated. And sin allowed her to take on a little bit different role than what God originally desired and planned for her to have. And it was then that she was called Eve because she became the mother of all the living, which Eve means. Now, <clears throat> seeing all of this, then we, we wonder how this really relates to what we were talking about here in the book of Revelation. And of course, as we see a couple today that are dating or courting, are, are liking each other, they have separate names. The marriage of the two will bring about a common name. Now, I understand that there's a move in our world today that uh, uh, is designed to do away with a, a woman taking on a, a man's name. And, and I have, I don't know what states, but I have been told, I have not read this, I I have not checked this out, but I have been told that in some states, if in the event you desire to get married and keep your own name, you can do that. Now, is that true? Has anybody heard that? I have heard that, that they will allow you to do that. But uh, up until this recent ERA movement, and you may ask me, are you not in favor of the ERA? Absolutely not. And you may say, Why? Because it is not according to Scripture. Now, I would go so far as to say 
that I think there are certain things about the ERA that are very practical and very, very important for, for us in our society. But there's a whole lot of things in it that's not right. I personally think that if a, if a woman is working on a job and she's doing the same work of a man, she should not be penalized for doing that same work. That is, when it comes to pay. I think she should be paid exactly what the other person's being paid. So I, I agree with that. But there's a whole lot more into it than that. And see, that's the problem right there. What it's designed to do is to separate individuals. And it's designed to tear families apart and break down the chain of command. This is all a part of, of the devil to destroy the human race. And when the family unit is broken down and destroyed, see, God never intended, let me tell you something, God never intended for the wife to be the breadwinner of the household. Now, that doesn't mean that Brother Grant has a blanket policy that women should not work on public jobs. Now, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But, but I would like to say this, that that I still believe that God intends for the husband to be the, the breadwinner of the household. The responsibility rests upon his shoulders. But you see, it's all a carefully devised plan of Satan to destroy the continuity of authority and leadership in the home. And so now in the home, people share uh, days and such in which... Uh, they are to be the leader. I was listening to a radio station in Chicago, and it was a talk show, and this subject came up. and was about the ERA. And one lady called in. She said, we have a, a good solution in our home, and it seemed to be working. What is it? She said, well, we have two children, my husband and, and I have two children, and we share days in which we are to be the leader. One day I'm the leader of the household. One day my husband is. One day one of my children is. The next day the other one is. Well, now see, if you get in the vein of thought of the ERA, now what's wrong with that? I mean, if you get in the vein of thought of it. Now, we all laugh about it, and most people who are involved in it would laugh about it. But nevertheless, they said, listen, when I use a swear word, and I did the other day, my daughter put me in a corner, and I stood there for 30 minutes or an hour or so. While it may appear to be a cute little thing, I'll tell you one thing, it's not doing anything for that daughter. And there will come a day in which that mother and that father will regret that they allowed that daughter to, to dominate them that way. See? Because ultimately, there are decisions that you make in your home that have a long-range effect. Not just a day-by-day, day, an hour-by-hour hour consequence. See? And in all probability, what will happen then, that, ha that house, well, <laughs> they do this by admission, it really has no head. Now, if you worked at, uh, let's say, uh, First Wisconsin Bank, and you all got in there every morning, and you didn't know who the boss was going to be, you'd be in bad trouble. 
I would say that that institution wouldn't 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 last very long. But you see, there's a structure in an institution that only makes sense. See, it only makes sense. But there is a carefully devised plan in our world to destroy the continuity of respect and authority. See? And so some states are going so far as having, well, I suppose that 49 out of the 50 states now have a no-fault divorce. You know, if you uh, want a divorce, you just go down and say, I want a divorce. Why? Well, it's none of your business, Judge. That's what they're saying. Doesn't make any difference. You let me rule my life, and you don't have any jurisdiction. If I don't want to live with this nag, I won't live with this nag. Well, then you and I know very well that 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 all marriages encounter some problems, and people are so wishy-washy and shifty in their thinking that if they have a three or four days in which they're not getting along, well, we'll just divorce. And that's what they're doing. Now, if you want to, if you want me to just get down to the bottom line of this, we have created a big fat mess in our world simply because we've left God behind. That's where we are. You may say then, then if all this be true and you sound so very pessimistic, Pastor Grant, no, I believe there is a plan right in the Bible in which man can follow and which man can can unite with and which man can adhere to that will bring about great peace and great happiness. Some of the women in the ERA devised a a particular uh, statement and sent it out to churches several years ago, and I did not receive one of those, but, but several of our United Pentecostal churches received this statement, and throughout our fellowship, Ladies' groups got together. I didn't know until it was all over with because I didn't receive one of these letters. But uh, some of the states in the southeast, uh, particularly, they received these. And the Pentecostal ladies got together and wrote a letter and sent it in and said, Look, don't feel sorry for us. We're feeling sorry for you. We love what we're involved in. We're glad that God has given us husbands that are strong and decisive and, and are able to make decisions. And we do not feel in any way that, that we have been limited in our ability uh, uh, to uh, live and, 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 and be happy and, and be everything that, that, that uh, a person ought to be. Just because there's, that, 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 uh, there's somebody over us and they inform them, don't forget that, that right here in this world there's no such thing as having nobody over you. So even our husbands have to live under this. They live under the umbrella, the protection of, of government agencies and, and, and forces over them. And, and they're not going around trying to kick the stars out because somebody's over them. That this is what life is all about. That since the Garden of Eden, there has always been a chain of command. So we're, we're, don't feel sorry for us. Now, I guess I need to move on if I get my message across that I want to get across today. But oh, what a, what a tragic thing that's happening. 
You know, really, children are growing up and they, they, they don't know the structure of the household. Now what's going to happen when they have their own family? Then you're just going to compound that problem. You're going to compound that problem. Now, when we get down to the real bottom line of what the Scripture is trying to teach us, it, do, it is trying to teach us about the family and about the structure and all of this. But it also is teaching us something about the relationship that we need with God. It teaches us that. See? Now, when we look in the New Testament, if you would turn with me to the Gospel of John... <clears throat> Let's uh, start reading the first uh, the first chapter of the Gospel of John. This would be a good place for us to start reading. Now, <clears throat> John one and one. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Now you remember in, in Revelation 19, the Bible says that His name was what? The Word of God. Now that simply means that God's name is inseparable from His Word. That you can't separate it. See, you cannot separate God from His Word any more than you can separate me from, from my Word. You know, the old statement is, a man is no better than his word. Is a particular proverb, a thought that comes from the Bible. If I had no way in which to transmit or communicate messages to you, you wouldn't know much about me, would you? Let's say that Pastor Grant just stood up here this morning. doesn't say a thing. You just look at me. You wouldn't know how I was thinking. You wouldn't know anything about my personality. There's just a whole lot that, that, that would be missing. But we associate a man with his word. And reputation is either built or destroyed by what you say and how you say it and how you communicate with people. And so God is inseparable from His Word. Now all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of man. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light. In other words, John was not the Messiah. John was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. So when John came, he said, I must decrease, but he must increase. And you'll find one remarkable thing about John. John performed no miracles, yet he was the greatest of all the prophets. Why? Because all things that he spake relative to Jesus were true. In other words, he brought a good, true, clear description of the character of God to man. And isn't that a beautiful testimony? And you know, they tried to make John the Messiah. And he could have stepped in and stole a lot of glory from God. But he says, no, I must decrease. You know, most people have an interest in increasing. But he said, I've got to submit 
God, Jesus Christ, must increase. All right? Verse 9, That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh in the world. He was in the world, the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. Jesus was a Jew, and he came to the Jews. But the Jews would not accept him. But notice verse 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And I'd like for you to, to repeat that with me. Believe on his name. Let's say it again. Believe on his name. Now notice verse 13. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now we're talking about uh, God making man over. See, God made Adam and he made Eve. And a deep sleep came upon Adam after he'd made him and took out of Adam's side a rib. And from his side he made Eve. And Eve was called woman because she came out of Adam's side. Now, if you will notice in the scripture in the fifth chapter of the book of Romans, and it will not be necessary for you to turn there, that Jesus Christ was called the second man Adam. In other words, there was a man, and God brought from his side a woman, and gave that woman unto him, and up until the time that she sinned, she carried the same name that he had. This is Mr. and Mrs. Adam. And it was sin that separated them from God and allowed her to take on a different name than the name of her husband. Now Jesus Christ was the first man, Adam. And in Genesis 3.15, when the curse was pronounced upon mankind, you will find that at that time, God gave the promise of a Redeemer that would reconcile things and bring things back to its proper perspective. That I will put enmity between thee and between the seed of the woman. Now that's speaking of Jesus Christ, that God's going to drive a wedge. Enmity is just like, here is the Lord and here is man. And so what, what happens here is that God wanted them together. But see, they separated themselves. And so here is the devil now. And here is man. And they united themselves together in a communion and in a relationship. And God says, I'm going to put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. So God's going to come and wedge them apart. Now, how is he going to do that? He did it by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came into the world to divide the relationship that man had created with the devil. And so he's going to drive a wedge between the two and separate them. 
You see, when man was originally made, he was one with his Lord. And God came and talked to them in the cool of the day. He was made in the likeness, and he was made in the image of God himself. He was. The day the Bible tells us that when God made him man, that he made him in his own likeness, and he made him in his own image. And Adam was a spitting image, so to speak, of his father. He thought like God. He acted like God. He looked like God. He had character like God. And he was that way. And so his wife was one with him. She was a help me. Inseparable from. And if you will look in the original Hebrew, when it speaks of help me, it doesn't just mean somebody that's, that stands alongside to help. It simply means an extension of. Eve was an extension of Adam. Why? Because she came out of him. She was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. She was not a separate individual. That's why she bore Adam's name. She came right out of Adam. But you see, the devil came along and tempted, and he drove that wedge, separated God from man. But the Scripture says, hey, something's going to take place. God's going to come back after the devil... And man got together, and God's going to come back through Jesus Christ, and He's going to put enmity. He's going to wedge them apart. He's going to separate them. Praise God. And I, I think that there's no teaching in the Bible that's more beautiful than the teaching of reconciliation. God's going to wedge the devil away from man, and He's going to fuse. The crucifixion of Jesus <clears throat> takes place in John 19, starting with verse 16. Now, if you'll notice what happened, and Pilate wrote a title, verse 19, and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, the king of the Jews. See, he recognized that Jesus was who that he said he was. All right. <clears throat> of course, this title was read by many, the Bible says. Some of them didn't like it. Nevertheless, he said, verse 22, what I have written, I have written. And it was just going to remain that way. So you see Jesus dying upon the cross. Now, the Bible tells us that after Jesus died upon the cross and gave up the ghost, in verse 30, that the Jews began to make preparation for all the burial, for the burial, rather, of all the people that had been crucified. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. In other words, the custom was that they'd go and break the bones of the people who were dying on the cross. Why? To enhance death. In other words, we want them to hurry up and die. We, 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 we want this death to be a long thing, but if, if it gets to be too long, 
because we don't want them to stay on the Sabbath day because that's a sacred day. That's a holy day. We're going to break the bones of their body so that they'll have more pain, more agony, and they'll hurry up and die. All right? <clears throat> of course, in the case of Jesus, uh, not a bone was broken on his body because when they found him, he was dead already, which actually was the fulfillment of Bible prophecy in Psalm 34:20. The Bible tells us that not a bone was to be broken. All right? <clears throat> Now, verse 32, Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first, and the other which was crucified with him. On both sides of him there were thieves there, and they had not died. And so they broke their bones. But when he came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, he brake not his legs. In other words, there's no purpose in it. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side. And forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be filled, fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again another scripture saith, They shall look on him whom they pierced. And this is found in Zechariah 12, verse 10, and Revelation 1, 7. Now, when they came to Jesus, he was dead already. In other words, just as God allowed Jesus Christ to live, he also allowed Adam to live. See, when he made Adam... He breathed upon him the breath of life. Adam became a living soul and he walked around. But you see, he was lonely. Why? Because he did not have a help me. No extension of himself. He was lonely to do all the work alone. Nobody to communicate with. God knowing... That Adam was natural, earthly, he caused a deep sleep to come upon him. And it was while he was sleeping that the rib was taken out. The same was true of Jesus Christ. He came unto his own. His own received him not. Jesus Christ was rejected of his kindred. Jesus Christ lived a lonely life while he was here. Jesus Christ was despised and spit upon. Jesus Christ did not have the help meet that he needed. God then saw Jesus Christ and saw himself and saw that the human race had been fused together with the devil, his own creation. He said, we're going to have to divide the devil. We're going to have to put enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of man. And while Jesus Christ was nailed upon the cross, and while he slept the sleep of death, the Roman soldier came and pierced his side and took out of his side the substance 
by which the New Testament church was to be formed and made. Blood and water came out of his side. And friend, according to the scripture, it's the blood and it's the water that makes the church, the New Testament church, what it is. Praise God, praise God. And the reason why that the New Testament church bears its name today is because they have taken on His blood. Praise God. And you will find that according to the New Testament plan of salvation, that when you are buried in His name in baptism, and that's when we take it on, friend, according to Galatians 3.27, we put on Christ in baptism. We take on His name then. That we become inseparable in name from God Himself. Do you know the Bible declares that we are the people of His name? Praise God, praise God. You see, I had identity before I found the Lord. But you see, I denied my personal identity. My identity being associated with Satan and the first man, Adam, declared, I was a sinner doomed to die and doomed to burn in hell forever and ever and ever. But you see, I came one day and gave myself to the Lord. Is here that I said, I surrender all. You know what you do when you repent, friend? You surrender all. You agree with God that you'll lose your identity and be swallowed up with the identity of God Himself. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And here we take on the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Did you know I wear His name? Yes, I do. I bear His name. Praise God. Praise God. Did you know that the church, according to 1 Corinthians 12, is an extension of God Himself on the face of the earth, inseparable from God? Why is the church inseparable from God, brother? Because the church came out of His side. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. And we are the espoused bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. You listen to me very carefully because we have people here that that do not know the apostolic way. I don't care where you go to church or what preachers tell you. When they tell you it's not necessary to be born again of water and of spirit according to the scripture. That you do not have to take on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in baptism. Don't you dare believe them. When the Bible says that you have to, friend, you have to. You know, and, 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 and in the day and the hour in which we live, you know, church is just kind of a fad to a lot of people. Just sign my name here and pay my pledges, and when I die, well, the preacher's going to bury me. When my children get married, well, he's going to marry them, and when kids are born, he's going to baptize them, and we get it all fixed up. No, friend, you can't live your life separate and apart from your husband.
Do you know why in the parables, when it speaks of the vineyard of the Lord, do you know why that the, the master is called the husband? Because that's the relationship. That God wants with the people who work in the vineyard. Did you know that, that the church should be so united with God today that they have the very character and the very nature of God? Do you know why Jesus was here? He was misunderstood. When Jesus was here, he was persecuted. When Jesus was here, it seems like he was out of the vein of thought of most people. Why? Because, you see, they were fused with the devil. And do you know the reason why, why the church is here, that the church is misunderstood just like Jesus was misunderstood? Because man is still like this until the blood comes and separates man. Well, what can take away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. All precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. You see, Isaiah prophesied about it. He said, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, though they be red. He said, The scarlet's going to become like snow, and the red, white, like wood. Did you know that, that the blood of the Lord that was shed on Calvary can come down and take your sin-sick heart and clean it off? Have you ever wondered why in the New Testament they baptized exclusively in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because the name identifies the blood. You know why my name's Grant? Because my dad's name's Grant. And when you're taken and baptized in water, the name of the Lord is called over you in baptism. Why? Because the name of the Lord identifies the blood that's actually doing the work in your heart. What about the Spirit? You see, the Spirit is where we get life. And where we get breath. You know, Jesus explained it like this. He said, now, if the devil, when he departs, leaves the temple and it's all cleaned and, and garnished and, and such, so he goes out and into the world and he seeks seven devils like himself. He comes back. If he sees that temple all clean and empty, he's going to seek an entrance into that. You see, this is the reason why that the blood is applied that cleans it up, but then the Spirit needs to come inside and, and, and occupy it because it's through the Spirit, see, that we receive life. The blood, life comes through the blood, but you see, when the blood is there and it cleans it up, we need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. When, when Peter was standing on the day of Pentecost and when they asked him, what must we do to be saved? He said, repent. What do you mean repent? Lose your identity. Give up selfishness. Give up 
your own way. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He's saying, lose your identity. Take on the identity of the Lord. Now, this certainly parallels with the message that Jesus gave to Nicodemus. Except a man be born of water. You see, baptism is both a burial and a birth. The old man is buried, and a new man is born. Be born of water and of spirit. He can not. C-A-N-N-O-T. Did you know that everybody that goes to heaven will wear his name? And if you're not willing to wear his name, you can't be his bride. And you see, some of these churches today are just like some of the states today. They say, you can get married without his name. Well, I can tell you one thing. If I'm marrying a woman, and I did, and I got a very lovely wife, if she'd have said, huh, I'm going to remain Darlene Smith, I'd say, you remain Darlene Smith. Is that right? And you see, you see, that's what's happening in some of these churches today. Preachers said, ah, you don't need to do all this. All you got to do is just be good. Friend, you cannot be good without the image of God stamped upon your heart. Well, you see, the prophet said, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. And I know what a lot of people say. And this is a hang-up a lot of people have. They say, oh, but what about my uncle? What about my aunt? What about my grandmother? She is so good and She's never been baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm here to tell you, friend, there's no good grandmas that don't have the Holy Ghost. I'm here to tell you, there's no good grandpas that don't have the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ washing away their sins. For all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. That's calling when you think that you can be saved without God and be good without the Holy Ghost. Praise God. You cannot be, friend. You see, we measure goodness one way. God measures it another way. While it is right that some of us can can restrain and educate ourselves and be uh, quite a compliment to, to certain facets and areas of, uh, of human life and relationship, friend, we can never be good enough to save ourselves. We can't do that. And while we want to pat everybody on the back that needs a pat on the back, and while we want to say that everybody is good that we need to say it by, about, please understand that with our finite mind, we can never measure the infinite power of righteousness. There is none good, for we have all sinned. Grandmother, I don't care what your grandchildren think. I don't care how good you are. You need the Holy Ghost. Aunts and uncles, it's not important what your nieces and nephews think. It's what God thinks. 
And you see, that's what you do. You lose your identity. And some church members today, they say, I want to be married to God, but none of this name stuff. Uh-uh, friend. That doesn't work. Because when he comes back for his church, he's going to look down. He's going to take everyone that's already committed themselves for his namesake. When he comes back and he gathers you out of this world, friend, he's coming back after those who are called by his name. In other words, we have already agreed in our engagement and espousement to the Lord. I'm going to take on your name. I have already committed myself. See, there is a committal. And when the marriage supper of the Lamb takes place, it is the consummation of our relationship with the Lord. Praise God. And when the Lord comes back, the people of the earth are going to look up and they say, what is that name they're all wearing? Hmm. Don't think I understand that. It's going to be his name, friend. It's going to be his name, and they're all wearing that name when they come back. Ephesians explains this, and we're going to close then. I'm just really excited about this. Oh, hallelujah. Verse 8 of Ephesians 3. Unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable, let's say that, unsearchable riches of Christ. You know, there's just certain things about God that you just can't search out. I don't care. What you, you, you think you understand it all and only to find out, hey, I don't. There are certain things you have to take by faith. All right. <clears throat> now, verse 9. To make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Isn't that something? Notice this word. Fellowship. Let's say it together. Fellowship. What do we think about in fellowship? We think about relationship. What kind of a fellowship did God have with Adam when he made him? What happened to that fellowship when he sinned? The fellowship of the mystery, which was from the beginning of the world, hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Did you know God created all things by Jesus Christ? To the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not in my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom the whole family in heaven and in earth is Named. Praise God. You know, every now and then I'll have somebody call me up and say, Are you folks Jesus' name? Yes, we are. 
What's wrong with that? I think that sounds pretty good. And I'm not saying that because that I am self-righteous. I'm just glad he allowed me to bear his name. Did you know? Listen, friend. It is, it is a miracle indeed that God allowed man again after man corrupted himself to bear his own name. It is a miracle indeed that God did you know the name Jesus is, is making inference of, of God, the God of the past, the God of creation, the God of the Jews, the Jehovah of the Old Testament, is become salvation unto us now, and we can, we can actually bear and wear the name of Jesus Christ, our God, right here while we walk on this planet Earth. Can you believe that? Now, I don't know how you feel about it, but I think that is so very beautiful. Praise God. Because, you see, really, we don't deserve it. Do we? Do we deserve that type of relationship? No. You see, He reached out and rescued us one day. He chose us. We didn't go choosing Him. Man, we had our mind on a jillion things other than God. But He found us. And He rescued us. And He said, I want you to bear my name. I want to marry you. Praise God. Let's lift our hands while Bob scoots over a little bit down there. Bob? Bob Monty, I want you to scoot over to the end of the pew here and stop that carrying on like that. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. God, you're so good. Lord Jesus, you're so wonderful. God, you're so holy. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Our God is alive and our God is real. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus, Lord. Oh, praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah. Let's sing for He is Lord. Oh, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Praise God. No, that's not what I'm saying. Praise God. Let's sing, I love Him, I love Him, because He first loved me. Do you really love the Lord? Praise God. We want you to stand at this time. And there's such a beautiful atmosphere here of praise and adoration. I love Him. I love Him. Because He first loved me. And He Purchase my salvation on Calvary's tree. I love Him. I. 
and he purchased There's a place to kneel and pray if you'd like to come and pray today. If you do not choose to come to the front, please turn and pray right in your pew where you are. Praise God. Let's sing it again as you find a place to kneel and pray this morning. I love Him. I love Him. 